Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We are uh, teaching on Sunday morning, started a couple of weeks ago, a series on healing that, um, that the Lord directed us to minister along the lines of. And, uh, and having teaching on healing on Sunday morning and then healing school on Sunday evening, it's kind of difficult for me to, to shift gears. Um, to be real honest with you, when I follow the leading of the Lord and preach what he wants me to preach or teach, whatever you want to call it, um, it gets bigger on the inside of me. It's not a matter of, well, now what was on my heart is gone. But I leave the service thinking, well, there's a lot of things I could have said and added on to and, and so forth. And it just seems to expand and get bigger and bigger. So let me expand on some things that I said this morning. Luke chapter 5 tells us the story of when Jesus was ministering on a certain day. We'll start, well, let's just start in verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I want you to notice the teaching, the truth of the word, God's plan for man brought about the power to heal. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said unto them, unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up on that took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, I want you to notice something. The main issue here is the lack of understanding of the doctors of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, the religious elite, if you will. Concerning their, their lack of understanding concerning the ability that God has given Jesus to do his will on the earth. Religious people, religious points of view, always make a distinction between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body. Always. They'll say that salvation, and by that they mean the forgiveness of sins, is one thing but the healing of the body is another. You remember there was a certain day that Jesus ministered to a woman in the synagogue. She was bound together in Luke chapter 13. tells us the story of how the woman was bound together. I don't know if it's arthritis or some kind of crippling disease. And she couldn't lift herself up in any way. And when Jesus looked at her, he said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmities. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And the ruler of the synagogue got mad. Instead of being glad that Here's one of his 
church members, synagogue members, was healed. He got mad and he said, there are six days in which to work. Let him come on one of those six days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And you remember Jesus answered and said, you hypocrite. He said, every one of you, meaning all the other religious people that were there, provides water for their animals on the Sabbath day. And he says, ought not this woman be loosed from this bond whom Satan has bound low these 18 years because she's a daughter of Abraham? Religious people always, always, always distinguish, distinguish and differentiate between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the physical body, always. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, which is easier to say? Now, I don't have any doubt that the religious leaders and everybody that was there missed the point. But let's don't be like them and miss the point too. Jesus is very simply saying, there is no difference between what the church world calls the salvation of the soul or the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the physical body because it's the same power that does both works. Now, here's a question I want you to consider. Is there ever a time under any circumstance, under any situation where God does not want the sinner to be born again? Ever. How do we know? Well, there's a lot of places we could go and look at. I'll remind you of one, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, for it's the will of God for all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Guess what that word saved is in 1 Timothy 2.4. It's the Greek word sozo. It's the all-inclusive term that includes healing for the body. And deliverance. And protection. And pres- pers- uh, preservation. And soundness. So the same Bible that says it's always the will of God for the unsaved to be born again. Is saying a lot more than that. Therefore, we could conclude from what Jesus is saying and what Paul told us by the Holy Ghost, as well as other things that we could look at as well if we took the time, that just as much as it's always the will of God for the unsaved to be born again, it's always the will of God for the sick to be healed. Always. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, which is easier to say? Man, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise and walk. Take up your bed and walk. Well, from their standpoint, from the religious people's standpoint, they don't think forgiveness of sins is available. And it was only available up until that time through the keeping of the the Old Testament commandments, the law, and the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement once a year. But Jesus came to the earth to show that because he's a man with the authority given by God to mankind, operating under the anointing of the Holy Ghost... He is commissioned by God to fulfill the plan of salvation or God's plan of redemption. That means that since Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world, before the world was ever created, way before man was ever made, Jesus was designated as the author and the finisher of God's plan of redemption. So when he was here on the earth, he was operating to fulfill the end result of what God sent him to do which means he had all the authority on the earth. 
to operate according to God's plan and purpose regarding sins, sickness, disease, deliverance from evil spirits, and so forth. And so he understands what they don't. He understands that it's the same power, the same saving power, the same redeeming power, the same healing power that provides redemption from sin or remission from sin, literally, for the spirit of man that provides healing for the physical body. It is always the will of God to heal. It is always the will of God for any sick person to be healed. Just as much as it is always the will of God for any person that's unsaved to be born again. Now, why didn't the church believe that? The Bible's real clear on it. I know church doctrine is kind of flaky on that point. But why didn't the church believe that? Well, let's take them one at a time. Why does the church believe that it's always the will of God for the unsaved to be born again? Because we preach it. Because we believe what the Bible says about God's will to save. And nobody preaches against it. Well, by the same token, the reason that so much of the church world does not believe that it's God's will for all sick people to be healed and always God's will for the sick to be healed is because it's not preached. And even in many circles, it's preached against. And so it creates a mental block on the minds of the church people. If we can break through that mental block, healing would flow like a river. Well, what did Jesus do when he ran into unbelief? You remember in Mark chapter 6, it tells us about Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. It says in verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Well, what did he do about it? Here's Jesus, the Son of God, operating in the limitless power of the Holy Ghost that needs only faith on the part of the individual to receive all the good things that God has for him, including signs and wonders and miracles of healing. What did he do when he found unbelief? And he went round about their cities and villages teaching. See, there's only one way you can overcome unbelief, and that's by teaching the truth. Because faith, the opposite of unbelief, comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So, folks, if this offends you, let me apologize up front. Because I'm going to start saying constantly that just as much as it is always the will of God for the unsaved to be born again, it is always the will of God for the sick to be healed. I'm going to hammer that home so hard. That one of these days after hearing it hundreds or maybe thousands of times, at least somebody is going to wake up and say, wow, it's always God's will to heal the sick. Brother Hagin used to say this, and I, I wish, well, at the time I claimed to understand it, but I wish I really had. He used to say this. He used to say, if I can bypass people's heads and get to their spirits, I can get them healed every time. Well, if you tell somebody you're trying to do that, they'll look at you like you're crazy. You defeat your purpose if you try to reveal that that is what you're after. But how do you bypass somebody's mind? If it's mind, the mind, the unrenewed mind, 
that's heard sickness preached, that's heard that God sometimes uses sickness to teach us something or whatever other goofy doctrines the church has come up with over the years, if that's become embedded in our thinking and becomes a hindrance to receiving healing that Jesus paid for with his own precious blood, how do you overcome that? Well, there's only one of two ways. One is by direct and supernatural revelation of the Holy Ghost. And the other is by repetitive teaching of the truth. So that it overcomes the lie that they've been taught. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 14. I believe that this story is given to us by the Holy Ghost specifically to address the situation that exists in the modern day church. I was on a um, um, field trip to Sacramento with my son's fourth grade, I think it was fourth grade class. And I was one of the chaperones, there was a bunch of us and, and uh, we were in a little dinky hotel in Sacramento and it was a night that we had off and there was a little pool there and it was warm enough so everybody had the swimsuits and the kids were all swimming and that kind of stuff. So the parents were standing around the edge and just, you know, supposedly supervising, killing time. And there was a guy that came up to me and he said, uh, introduced himself and he said, I'm so-and-so. He says, nice to meet you. And so, you know how things go. People ask you what you do. That's always a conversation killer for me. So he said, so, Mike, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm pastor of church. Oh, really? And that's a Christian school. So he said, oh, really? What church? So I told him. He said, well, what kind of church are you guys? So I told him. I tried to use a nondescript term that nobody really understands and nobody questions. <laughs> We're a non-denominational church. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. So I said, we're a non-denominational church. So he said, uh, well, okay. He said, well, well, what kind of church are you? And I said, well, I said, the thing that uh, the kind of church that you would probably identify as most with would be a charismatic church, maybe an Assembly of God church. Our doctrine is sim- similar to the Assembly of God church. And then I smiled and I said, the only difference is we really believe it. <laughs> well, he said, uh, he said, oh, so you guys believe in gifts of the Spirit. I said, yeah, we do. He said, well, he said, uh, I go to such and such church and I'd heard of it. He said, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because my my wife, when we were early on in our marriage, we were in a real rough spot. And we found this little bitty church, told me where it was and told me the name of it. He said, in this little bitty church, he said, Man, they had stuff going on all the time. There wasn't but like 20 people. But they had stuff going on there all the time, supernatural stuff. He said, it really brought us back to God. Well, I'm thinking this is going to be a good thing, you know. He said, it really brought us back to God. He said, but now that we've got kids, he said, we go to this other church, big church, well-known church. He said, and we just concentrate on the important things, preaching the gospel. I said, you mean the Acts 14, 7 gospel? He said, what's that? 
So I quoted to him Acts 14, 7. Talking about in the cities of Lystra and Derby and the region round about. It says, and there Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. Verse 8, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, who had never walked. Being a cripple who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. He said, is that in the Bible? I said, yeah. I said, I think I quoted it word for word. I said, see, the gospel that Paul preached produced healing in the part of a crippled man that had never heard about Jesus. Is that the gospel that you preach? Is that what you mean? And he spit and sputtered a little bit and said, well, no, 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 no. We, we just preach salvation. And I said, well, I said, I think when Paul preached the gospel, he's preaching salvation too, don't you think? What else would it be if it didn't produce salvation? But the Bible indicates that salvation includes healing for the sick. And it was an interesting thing because that guy, he decided he had had enough. And he started making his uh, excuses, you know, well, I'll, I'll see you later and that kind of stuff. And before he left, he shook my hand and I held on to his hand. Now, this is pretty unusual for me. I usually let people alone. But I said, I want to tell you something. You just told me, without me asking you a thing, you just told me that the thing that brought you closer to God and changed your life was a display of the power of God. But now you're trying to act like you're doing something more important by denying it. I said, I'll let you be the judge of that, whether God's pleased with that or not. But it's an interesting thing to me that the thing that turns your life around and got you on the right track is the thing that you now want to deny. He dropped my hand as quick as he could and got away. I never saw him for the rest of the three-day trip. I'm sure that was on purpose. But folks, I want you to understand something. There is only one possible explanation for Acts 14. And that is, Paul preached that through the work of Jesus, there is not only redemption for the spirit of man, but healing for the body. He had to have preached that God wants the sick to be healed just as much as the unsaved to be redeemed from sin. He had to have preached that. And you know what else is interesting about that? It doesn't tell us about anybody getting saved. Now, I don't have any doubt that the man that got healed got saved too. You know what I mean by that term. I don't have any doubt that the man after he was healed received Jesus as the Lord and Savior. I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. Wouldn't you have? Wouldn't you have wanted to know more about and receive the man that healed you? The one that Paul has just preached is the healer. And now you have evidence from being healed, from being a crippled all your life. I'd want to know more, wouldn't you? But the Bible doesn't say one word about anybody getting saved. What do you think would be the result of a man in a new town, however big the crowd was, big or small, what do you think would be the result in that town from a man that everybody knew was crippled from birth being instantly healed? Don't you think that would draw attention to Jesus? 
Don't you think that would open the door for people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? But the Bible doesn't say a word about it. Leaves us to draw the conclusion for ourselves. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever known a healing miracle not to produce people being born again? I haven't. Never known of one. Never experienced one. Never heard of one. F.F. Bosworth, the author of the great book, the classic book on healing, Christ the Healer, said this for the, well, what, 50-something years of his ministry. He said healing is the dinner bell. He gave the testimony. He said, you know, earlier in his ministry, he was a denominational preacher, and even though he had seen healing as being the truth of the word, he didn't preach it. He said, we just focused on trying to get people saved, realizing that the redemption of the spirit is more important than the healing for the physical body because this body is temporal. Whether it's sick or whether it's well, it's temporal. So his attitude was, let's focus on the eternal part of man and get people born again. He said, we went along for two or three years with minimal results. He said, but after those two or three years, the Lord really started dealing with him and impressing upon him to preach what he knew to be true. Now, don't get me wrong. He grew in it and as he went along and so forth, grew in the knowledge of it. But he already knew that healing was the will of God. But he wasn't preaching it. His ministry was focused entirely on evangelism. And he thought the best way to produce converts was to preach the salvation of the soul. But he said, after two or three years with minimal results, he said, the Lord started dealing with me about preaching healing. And he said, now we go all over the country. We preach healing in every city we can hold meetings in. And he said, where well, we got 10 people saved in a meeting before, we'll have hundreds and sometimes thousands of people saved. Because we found that everybody wants to know the one that healed their bodies. Everybody wants to give their hearts to, to the one that healed their bodies. He said, besides that, through the book, Christ the Healer, he said, we've received hundreds of thousands of testimonies of people that have been healed just through the reading of these sermons that were printed. We get testimonies every day of people being healed. We get testimonies every day of people being healed and accepting Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Sick people will do just about anything to get well, folks. When the church provides a healer, when the church provides Jesus as the healer, presents Jesus as the healer, the world will run to the church. It's what they did to Jesus. How do you think the multitudes came to Jesus? Why do you think the multitudes came? Well, the Bible says that after Jesus would heal the sick, there would, a fame, there would be a fame of him that would go out into that region and multitudes would gather. So much so that Jesus didn't even have time, according to one gospel account, Jesus didn't even have time for he and his disciples to take meals. So they had to pull away and go into the wilderness, go somewhere to get off by themselves because the knowledge of the healing power of God was so prevalent that people wouldn't leave them alone. Isn't that a church you'd like to be a part of? Isn't that the family of God in operation like Jesus said we should be? 
I believe that's what he meant when he said, the works that I do shall you do also. So just as, if we were telling the people that were unsaved, an unsaved audience, just as we would emphasize and stress strongly that there is no sin that is too great for God to forgive, just as we would emphasize there is no behavior, no activity or no length of time that you've been involved in an activity, no wrongful act or habit that can stop or change or negate the will of God for you to be born again. We have to be just as honest and just as bold and just as truthful to say there is no sickness, there is no disease that is too great for the blood of Jesus to overcome. It is just as much the will of God for the sick to be healed as for the unsaved to be born again. Always. And that can never change. Because God's will never changes. It is always. Just as much the will of God for the sick to be healed. For every sick person to be healed. As it is the will of God for every unsaved person to be born again. Always. And the work's already been done. The work's already been done. Turn with me. We'll close with this. Turn with me to Matthew. I'm sorry. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Verse of scripture that you all know. Let me encourage you to read the Bible and don't just quote it. Because there are things that you see when you read scripture that you think you already know and that you may be able to quote and may have memorized there are things that the Holy Ghost will reveal to you when you take time to read it and give respect to it as if you've never seen it before much more so than if you just say it because you've said it time and time and time again Lillian B. Yeomans used to well let me real quickly tell you her story she was a medical doctor and because of the stressful hours and or stressful um, circumstances of her job and long hours and so forth, she started taking drugs to get her through the day. And she got hooked on morphine. And she came to the, to the edge of, the, of death because she was so addicted to morphine, she could not kick it, she could not overcome it. It was costing her life, her practice, her well-being just about in every area. And she came to the knowledge, she, she was saved as a young girl, and she came to the knowledge that Jesus is the healer. She just saw some scriptures in the Bible, started doing a little bit of study, and in a short period of time, received by faith her healing and was instantly delivered from this thing and came back from the brink of death. Well, from that point forward, she stopped practicing medicine and started teaching healing. She'd go around the country. This was back in the early 1900s, probably, well, maybe 1920s. She'd go around the country and hold healing campaigns. And she used to get so mad at people because she said, and she'd say this publicly as well as privately, she'd say, with a subject as important as healing for the physical body, I look out over the crowd. And I see a lot of people not even bringing their Bibles. 
A lot of people that brought them didn't pay attention to them, didn't pay attention enough to read, didn't have enough respect for it, but to, to give its, give the word their undivided attention. Chewing gum, looking out the window, doing all kinds of things. And she said, I don't know if it's just my flesh that rises up or if it's righteous indignation. She said, but it's all I can do to keep from just tearing them up when I see people's lack of interest in the word. I was in a healing meeting, a crusade with Brother Hagin one time. The Spirit of God came on him. Never heard him say this before, but the Spirit of God came on him. And he said he had the same kind of situation in the place that we were at. The crowds were big. A lot of people were coming out. But uh, apparently they were coming to see the show rather than to give attention to the Word. And Brother Hagin told him it was a morning class. It was teaching faith. And he just told the crowd, he said, now, if you're in this, in this auditorium or come to these meetings, if you don't bring your Bible and don't give attention to what it's saying, don't really try to see what it's saying, he said, you're wasting your time. You're not going to get anything. See, folks, the Bible works for us when we give attention to it. The Bible works for us when we put it first in our lives. You can't take a casual attitude toward God and expect to get his best. And I think that's what the church world has done to a great degree on the subject of healing. That's especially true out here in California. We've become spiritual bums. We pride ourselves. Well, I'm not going to include myself in the group. Most, many California churches pride themselves on being casual. They're flip-flop Christians. Well, they're flip-flop spiritually too. That's not what gets God's best. Brother Hagin said on another occasion, talking about his own situation, he said, you know, when I was 16 years of age, he said, I became totally bedfast. He said, I spent 17 months totally bedfast. He, was, he said, I was pra- practically paralyzed. He said, I had a little bit of movement of my hand, but that was about it. And he said that in the still of the night, somehow or another, he had a witness in his heart that the answer for him was Mark eleven twenty three and 24. He said, I didn't know Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we were healed. He said, I didn't know the scriptures that promised healing. I didn't know any of those things. He said, there was just something about Mark eleven twenty three and 24 that the Holy Ghost witnessed in my heart that that's my answer. He said, during the nighttime, I'd quote those scriptures thousands of times back to the Lord. He said, I relentlessly pursued those scriptures because there was something about them that I just felt like was my answer. He said, I think ordinary people would have died. But because I was so relentless in my pursuit of the word, I finally saw it. That's the way we all need to be, isn't it? The word doesn't need to be just something else that we hope someday works. It needs to be the complete and total pursuit of our lives. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, What's your mountain? Is it sickness? Is it disease? He's talking about the circumstance or the problems that you face in life. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed 
and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. That means don't speak to the contrary. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now folks the key to righteousness. Or let me say it this way. Maybe this is a better way to say it. The key to realizing that the new birth makes us righteous is to call yourself the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus even when you may be trapped in sin. Even when you may be stumbling over temptation. Because see, the devil tells you that the the evidence that you're not righteous is the fact that you're stumbling or bound. But the word of God has to be true, does it not? The Bible says... That God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, when are we made the righteousness of God in him? When we conquer sin? No, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So one of the greatest areas of spiritual, spiritual growth you'll ever experience is in the face of failure. Stumbling into sin or being bound by habits, whatever the case might be. To declare the truth of the word that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that as unfortunate as your stumble into sin may be, it has nothing to do with the nature that God has made you through him, through Jesus. So the key to growing in righteousness is to declare you're righteous no matter what you're living. To declare you're righteous no matter what you're stumbling into or tripping over. Are bound by to declare that you are righteous because over a period of time you'll realize from the inside wait a minute I really am righteous because God says so I'm not unrighteous because I'm stumbling and falling that doesn't make me unrighteous it's something I need to conquer but the strength to conquer it is to realize that I'm already the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus See, otherwise, righteousness is a, is a result of works. When I conquer sin, then I'll be righteous. Well, then what good is the blood of Jesus for you? If it takes your work to complete, then what good is the blood of Jesus for you? No, folks, it takes no work on your part except to believe. And the Bible says that you... By virtue of the fact that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That's true whether you ever live up to it or not. That's true whether you ever confess it or not. It's true because God made it so. Well in the same way. That you grow in righteousness. Or grow in the knowledge of righteousness. By confessing it. In the same way. You conquer your mountains. By telling them to go and then calling them gone. Jesus said in verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. We'll say the mountain for the purpose of our discussion tonight is sickness. Whosoever shall say unto this sickness. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now what basis do we have to say that? Because Jesus as your substitute took your infirmities and bore your sickness. And with his stripes you're healed. I was quoting a scripture from the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 23, verse 15, I believe it is. 
where it says, and God will bless your bread and water and take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, that used, that's generally my prayer over meals. Thank you, Father, for blessing our bread and water and for taking sickness from the midst of us. But the Lord quickened me about that one day, and he said, when do you think that's taking, going to take place? And I realized that I'd gotten to the point where I was thanking God as an act of faith, I thought, but I was thanking God for taking sickness from the midst of me, looking for him to do it in the future, looking for the moment in time when he would take sickness from the midst of me. And the Lord dealt with me real strong. He said, don't you think that's what I did on the cross? And all of a sudden I saw it and I saw it so clearly and it's like, oh, goodness gracious. And here I am preaching faith and healing and make a rookie mistake like that. It's easy to get tripped up if you don't examine every thought and take every thought captive to the obedience of the word. I realized what I was doing wrong. So I stopped and turned it around and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I see it. Of course, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So the promise of the Old Testament that God would take sickness away from the midst of you has already been fulfilled. Thank you, Father, that you've already taken sickness from the midst of me. See, it's little things like that that make the difference. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, the mountain being sickness in our case, whosoever shall say unto this sickness, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Have you done that? Have you commanded your sickness to go? If you hadn't, Jesus said you're supposed to. And shall not doubt in his heart. That means don't say anything to the contrary. The example of that is fulfilled in Hebrews chapter 10. Which says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. In other words, shall not doubt in his heart equals never say anything to the contrary. In other words, don't say that your sickness is still there. You just commanded the sickness to go. Well, if it's been commanded to go and you believe that what you say will come to pass, it can't still be around. Jesus said, under those conditions, you'll have what you say. So a shorthand version of that is to command your sickness to be gone. And from that point forward, never to, to, to change, never to, to waver. From that point forward, call your sickness gone. And when Jesus is telling us this about Mark chapter 11, verse 23... He's identifying the, the authority that God gave mankind on the earth. Jesus said that we had authority over all sickness and all disease and over all the power of the devil. He said it this way in Luke 10:19, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. Well, if sickness and disease is, of the, is part of the power of the devil, which we know it is, then that means you have authority over all sickness and disease. So quit looking for somebody to pray for you. You have authority over. Well, what are we supposed to do to things that we have authority over? Command them to go. In Jesus' name. Command them to go. From that point forward, as far as you're concerned, as far as the words of your mouth are concerned, your sickness is gone in Jesus' name. Now, that's what we have to hold fast to even in the face of circumstances or symptoms that contradict what we're saying. 
That's holding fast the profession of your faith. So I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, sickness is gone. As far as I'm concerned, my body is healed. Yeah, but what about what we see? I'm not going to talk to you about what you see because it has no bearing on the truth. Well, do you deny that it's, there's physical evidence that the sickness is not gone? It's not my place to deny or accept anything. I stick with the word. Brother Hagin told a story about when, after he was healed, there were times when his heart symptoms would come back on him. He said it was all I could do to stand, all I could do to walk, all I could do to negotiate what he needed to do in school and so forth. He said, I got myself in a position where when people would ask me how I was doing, sometimes they'd say, well, you look like you're, you're still real weak. Then I'd, I'd discuss it with them and I'd say, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not feeling real good. And he said, I started getting worse and worse. It looked like all these things that I'd been healed of were going to come back on me. So he said, I went to the Lord and started talking to him about it. And the Lord showed me what I was doing wrong. He said, you're talking to people about the symptoms. He said, well, Lord, what am I supposed to do? He said, do you believe you're healed? He said, oh, yes, absolutely. According to the word of God, I'm healed. He said, then anytime somebody asks you how you're doing, just simply say, I'm well, thank you. If people want to know how you're doing, how you're feeling, just say, I'm well, thank you. And go on about your business. So what we see and what we feel has no bearing on truth. God's word is the truth. So I don't know about you, but my mountain is gone. And I'm well, thank you. And I'll always be well, thank you. And my mountain will always be gone. And if what Jesus told us is true, and of course we know it is, then there'll come a point in time when you won't see anything that contradicts what you're saying. You'll see a time come. A literal point in time, a moment in time where your body will agree with what you've been saying from your heart all the time. So my mountain is gone. Where's yours? Did you get it? Let's lift our hands and thank God without cause our mountain is gone. Oh, thank you, Father. It's so good to have that mountain gone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, our mountain is gone. Sickness is gone. We call sickness gone. We call our bodies healed. Bodies, you respond to the word of God. You line up with what the word of God says Jesus did for us. Thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you that our bodies are well. Thank you that our mountain is gone. We'll never turn back from that, Father. Never, ever, ever. We will not doubt in our heart, which is a choice, is an act of our will. But instead, we will hold fast the profession of our faith that our mountain is gone and our bodies are well. Thank you, Lord. Whatever work needs to be done is up to you. Our position is one of faith. Our position is one where we exercise our authority according to your word. Thank you that it's true. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Got one last thing to say to you folks. It is always 
just as much the will of God to heal every sick person as it is for every unsaved person to be born again. I want to hammer that home. And it's the same power that affects both. Healing for the body and the remission of sins. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Thank God my mountain is gone. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week.